At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 483rd episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Today on our podcast, we have someone who is moving from dreaming about it to doing what it takes to grow her own farm. We're talking with Tiffany Panachone about starting an urban farm business. Tiffany is a native of Phoenix, Arizona with a gypsy soul. Her self-healing journey has sailed her around the world and right back to her roots. With a strong craving and an inner calling to go deep within herself and simultaneously the dirt, she is now listening, learning, discovering, and planning to cultivate the gifts of the Sonoran Desert. After all, she wonders, is it really worth doing the hard work if it isn't your heart's work? Welcome to the show today, Tiffany. Are you ready to rock? Oh, absolutely, Greg. Excellent. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Sure. There are two main things I think that make me who I am, and those things are adventure and intuition. And those two things really have taken me everywhere I've gone in my life, from a sustainable tourism degree at ASU to sailing on a semester at sea and even going all the way to India to do a yoga teacher training and everything in between. So that's where I've always gone and just followed my intuition and my sense of adventure, looking for raw, real life everywhere I go. That's kind of what I crave and what I'm always trying to find. So that being said, the yoga part of my journey really had me dive deep into myself and I began to peel back a lot of layers and started to think about life on a deeper level. Everything from what am I thinking, what ancestral trauma lives deep within my soul, things like what am I doing here, what is my purpose, what am I eating, like all of these things came up while I sat still and quiet with myself during the practice of yoga and I continue to do that. So as I discovered these things and food and herbs being a huge part of it as the medicine that I've been using to kind of heal myself and heal all of these deep-rooted dissatisfactions with like the superficial life that we seem to live these days. So now here I am. Nice. Tiffany and I met about six months ago and we started chatting and I pitched her a urban farming project and she jumped on board right away. And that's a big part of what we're going to talk about today. So tell me about that project and where you are in the process, Tiffany. 
right now, I mean, for the last couple of weeks, I've basically been a weed puller. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the beds needed prepping, to be fixed up. Yeah, prepping the beds, which is awesome because I'm all about, you know, getting a well-rounded experience so that I can take whatever I learn from this project and from this experience with me for the rest of my life into all my other farm endeavors. And this being the first farm project that I've ever done, we're just in the baby phases of it, just kind of conceptualizing what we're doing, what we're growing. And, and when we say we, we mean you, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's okay. I'm I'm here to coach. That's no problem. Yes, of course. And I don't know why I say we. That's funny. But yeah, it's been a really organic process. The original idea was to plant out a large bed of basil and see if see if somebody, I was looking for somebody to do a basil project in the front yard here, and you took it on. So what have you done so far? Obviously, you're prepping the bed. What else? Well, I've decided which types of basil we are growing in the bed, and we came up with four different varieties that we're going to try out. I have conceptualized an idea for a farm name and have been thinking about who we're going to sell to, how we're going to sell it, what the heart behind this business really is so that we can stay in integrity with what it is we're trying to do. And that is to just grow food and nutrients from the heart and share it with the community in a place that needed something of the sort. We're plugging right into the local food economy and using this as our first opportunity to do so. Nice. And and so you're clearing the bed. You've decided on what basil you're going to grow. Have you ordered the basil plants? Yes, we ordered basil plants from True Garden, which is a local greenhouse nursery that will grow our little seedlings um, until they're ready to plant in the ground, which will take about a month. So once they're done there, we'll pick them up and our prepped bed will be filled with rows of basil. How many basil plants did you order? That's the big question. (laughs) We ordered 500 basil plants. Wow. For 500 square feet. Yes. Wow. Well, cool. And where do you see this project going? What's your vision for moving forward? Well, with this first round of basil, I just want to use it to kind of introduce myself in the local food economy, get to know people at farmers markets, get to know chefs and local restaurant owners who might want to make partnerships. And I really see this as the first step in a lifelong dream that I've always had, which is to cultivate kind of a sustainable community or a regenerative community where we are really focused and based in self-reliance. So I want to be able to grow food and herbs that nourish us and cultivate us and cultivate our health here in the Valley because I feel like it's really easy to get lost in the hustle and bustle and forget about the, where our food comes from. Yes, exactly. And there's a restaurant on every corner and most of those aren't local and most of those aren't really doing anything for our health or the health of the planet. So I just want to do my part to make sure that's what I'm doing because that's what my heart wants me to do. And if I don't live my heart's 
purpose and I don't live in that integrity, then I feel unfulfilled on a daily basis and I just can't do that. So I want to kind of build my own little sanctuary for myself and for the community because I just feel like it's definitely needed. Yeah. And you've come up with a farm name. Yes. It's Heartwork Farms. With a plural S at the end. Tell me about that. Because you had a thought process for that, right? Yes, absolutely. So there are two different properties that I will be farming. Right now we're using your bed as we prep a property in Peoria, which is a family property, Peoria, Arizona, in the West Valley. And we also have a cabin property up toward Prescott. It has a mayor address, technically. So that is the other location. So we technically will have two farms as a family and we'll be able to grow completely different things on these two farms, obviously based on where they're located and at what elevation and in what kind of climate and such. Nice. And you're looking at growing herbs mostly. Yes. So I just got accepted into Joanne Sanchez's herbalism program. Oh, nice. Congratulations. Thank you. So I'm really excited because with that, I will be studying herbalism, herbs as medicine, food as medicine, and just really starting to understand the botany and all the details behind different plants and the families they come from, and then knowing what to do with the herbs once they are grown and cultivated. Like, do we make a tincture out of this? Do we make a tea? This helps for this ailment. This will, you know, solve these problems. And I envision really big things for this project. And it's just really awesome to be taking these small steps in the direction of those big dreams. Nice. And we're about, I'm going to let the cat out of the bag here. We're about ready to launch a coaching, uh, urban farming coaching program through Urban Farm U. And you're one of the, you're one of the first people to join in. You are the first person to join in. It's <laughs> not one of, you are the first person to jump in and we're going to be coaching with you. So if you want more information about that, you can always email me at greg at urbanfarm.org. And the other piece of this is that we're going to bring you on periodically to talk about what's, you know, how the process is going so you can share your story. How do you feel about that? I'm so excited. And I just feel like this was something I was telling myself for a year before this all happened. Like, I want to be a farmer. And mind you, I'm as amateur as you could possibly get. So (laughs) knowing that someone like me with just the right intentions and the right like mindset essentially could get to this point where I was stumbling on the internet one day and just ran into Urban Farm U and then just a little light bulb went off in my head and it was more like a feeling in my gut or my intuition Uh that I knew that this was where I needed to be. And then I ended up in one of your local community classes one night where you were speaking about gardening and farming and fruit trees and even just from meeting you in that moment, which was about a year ago, I knew without even personally talking to you or meeting you that you were going to be the person or one of the people that would totally help me make these dreams that I have always had a reality. So having you as a mentor and having finding these teachers like people like Joanne and I'm actually going to Earthship Academy next month as well Wow! to study what Mike Reynolds does with the sustainable building design concept. So just getting all of these really educated, smart, willing people in my corner and just kind of extracting as much knowledge from all of these people in all of these places is like probably what is going to make this 
what it's going to be. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I have noticed, we've been working together now, what, three weeks, a month? Yeah, about a month. Yeah, about a month. And you're really good at taking coaching and mentoring and you listen. And that is, that's priceless. You know, when you're starting a project like this, if you have a mentor and you can, you know, take their advice and head in a direction that's, that works for you and for them and for the planet, you're, you're on the bonus round. And I noticed that you're really good at that. So kudos to you. You, that's definitely a practice. Like me a few years ago would not have been in this space where I am able to listen, but I know that now with practice, like I've realized how, how important that is. And yeah, just how much knowledge there is out there. Cause it's like, the more, you know, the more, you know, that you really don't know very much at all. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So I got to this point where I'm like, wow, I should probably just listen as much as I can. (laughs) Yeah. Well, they call that, I think they call that a cone, don't they? K-O-A-N, a paradoxical antidote or riddle used in Zen Buddhism to demonstrate the inadequacy of logical reasoning and or provoking enlightenment. That's what a cone is. That's K-O-A-N. So say that again. So the more you know and the more you learn, the more you realize that you don't really know very much at all. Yeah. This is the reason. This is the reason I am a lifelong learner, that I love to learn. Same. Yes. I cannot stop. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, sometimes I slow down. There are times in my life when I slow down because it's like, okay, I got to take a breather here. Right. I can only drink from the fire hose so much. And you have to integrate the knowledge that you are learning and the right knowledge comes to you in the right time. And I totally believe in divine timing and just letting things unfold as they want to. And that's part of it is just letting information kind of settle and then using it and then going from there and seeing what information do I need now. So let's talk about the front bed here at the urban farm. It's 500 square feet. Tell us about the garden bed where you're going to be planting. Well, it's 500 square feet. It's an L shape. The soil is so nice. So it had a bunch of nut grass, Bermuda grass, other various weeds, and even some sweet potato vines growing in it that I've been pulling out so that we can make space for our new basil babies. But the soil is so rich and you can tell that because every time you stick the fork in it and kind of flip it over, you find tons of critters and bugs of all shapes and sizes. And you find that when you step on it, It's very airy and you kind of sink down so there's space in the soil. Mm -hmm. It's very rich. The weeds don't want to stop growing in it, actually. (laughs) Every time I pull them, more just come. Yeah. Well, weeds are a pioneer species. They show up early, they grow voraciously, and they pull all kinds of nutrients out of the soil. So that's why we're actually saving them and giving them to the chickens for the most part. Right. What would you imagine would be your next step? So we get the garden bed prepped, what do we have to do next? So now that we're pulling all the weeds out and we kind of have a fresh layer of soil, we'll add basil likes compost and lots of organic matter. So we're going to add a nice layer of that and plant our little rows of basil. And then we'll probably add some like mulch on top just to kind of keep them at the right temperature in the soil during the next month when it's still kind of hot. But other than that, it's a completely organic 
process, just soil and compost and sunlight and water. We've also got, oh, the drip system, the drip tape that we're laying is going to be awesome because then we won't really have to hands-on be watering it every day. That'll be set on a timer. So given that you don't know what drip tape is, actually, I should ask you, what do you know about drip tape? And then I'll go and tell, tell the rest of what I know. Well, I know that it's kind of like black tubing and that... You hook it up to your water source and then on the timer it turns on and it pressurizes throughout the whole system and then eventually drips everywhere in your garden evenly, which is kind of different, I think. Yes, it is. That, and that's the big bonus with drip tape. The whole system pressurizes equally and then it starts leaking. So the basal plants at the beginning of the system are going to get the same amount of water as the ones at the end of the system. Right. So the other cool thing about drip tape, besides that it waters everything evenly, is how simple it goes together. And drip tape is a, it's like Tinker Toys where we, you know, we run the pipes out and they slip together and there's pressure fittings on them. Honestly, we'll do about two hours worth of work to get all of the drip tape in on this on this front bed. In fact, you know what we should do? We should videotape it and have it available for people to see when we do the installation. You want to do that? Yeah, let's do that. Maybe awesome. a little uh, time lapse action. Yeah, absolutely. We can do that. So drip tape, we'll get the plants planted. We're going to plant the plants somewhere around October 10th-ish, right? Right. Great. Then what happens? Then they start growing. And as they grow, we kind of encourage them along by trimming them quite often and frequently, making sure that they don't go to flower so that we can keep cultivating nice tasting basil. One of the cool things about basil and lettuces and that kind of stuff is something it's called cut and come again. So basically, you know, we'll get these basil plants and it'll be one stalk and we'll let it grow to 12, 14, 18 inches tall. And then we'll cut it in half down to nine inches. And what happens at the cut point is then it kind of branches out. And then you'll let it grow for another couple of weeks and it'll branch out into this little more bushy thing. And then we'll cut it down about six or eight inches and then it happens again. So before long, what we'll have is a bed of basil bushes. Right. And that's what we want. We want them to be as bushy and as wide as possible instead of like skinny, tall, lanky type plants. So by November 15th, you're going to have pounds and pounds of basil to do something with. What is your what are your thoughts about what's next? So what's next is as they're growing in their baby stages, I'm going to go around to local restaurants and chefs and maybe even some stores or wherever, but we want to sell the basil in as large of quantities as possible so that it's not going to waste. So we want to cultivate some relationships with some chefs or some restaurant owners and get them to buy our basil. We're growing not only regular Genovese basil, but we're growing amethyst basil, which is basically the same as the regular basil, but it's just a deep, pretty purple color. So Mm -hmm. I think some specialty restaurants would be pretty interested in that. And the other variety we're growing is Thai basil. And that kind of opens us up to 
a lot of the different Asian restaurants that are around town here in Phoenix. So I know of one right down the street, uh, just a couple blocks from my house that I walk to all the time. So places and people that I already have some sort of relationship with is probably where I'll start and just get an idea what where they're currently buying their herbs or where they're currently buying their basil and if they would want to create a partnership with me where it's very local and organic and I can be their grower. Yeah, cool. And one of the one of the things to look out for is consistency. When I was at ASU, Arizona State University as a student in 1999 to 2004, one of the things that I did was I grew for restaurants and I grew to go to the market. And one of the key things that I learned was that if I was at the farmer's market every week, we did a whole lot better week over week. If you missed a week, uh, you know, you could be doing 2x if you're going every week in money. And if you miss a week, you'll go down to 1x and it takes you a couple of weeks back to get back up to 2x. So consistency is going to be a really big issue to address to make sure that you have a consistent product and you show up consistently because especially for chefs and I'm a big, big fan of selling to chefs, but you have to be able to show up for them. Exactly. So that's why I'm really kind of taking your advice and going in your same direction as you did back in those days when you would sell to chefs where you would kind of go to them and see what they need, when they need it, how much they need, and then building and growing based on that. Cool. The other thing to do is actually ask the chefs what they want. Exactly. You know, you might find that chef X wants this particular kind of basil and chef Y wants this particular kind of oregano. So growing those for them is, you know, it just makes your life easier. Exactly. I also am really interested in taking some, obviously we're going to let some of the plants grow all the way to seed so that we have seed for next Ah, round. Very good. And some other, we're growing one other type of basil, which is holy basil or Tulsi. And that specifically is known for a lot of its medicinal properties. So I'm going to start trying out some of my herbalism practices with that where can try to make some other products that are from the basil instead of just the pure fresh basil. Nice. So you mentioned in your bio that is it really worth doing the hard work if it isn't your heart's work? What kind of hard work have you started bumping into so far? Well, it's all hard work, Greg. It's like getting up before the sun does and getting out there, like you said, consistently doing your work when nobody is really there, like forcing you to. So Mm -hmm. since this is a heart project and a heart based like life that I'm trying to lead, it's really up to me to get up every day and to do the things. So that's, that can be hard sometimes because your 5am logic in your brain when you wake up sometimes just says to stay in bed and it would be so comfy, but (laughs) you really know that you have a lot to do. And when It's not a matter of someone firing you for not showing up. It's a little bit different because you have to really hold yourself accountable. So I think that's hard, but it's also one of my favorite parts about it because I like being on my own schedule and my own. I like being self-reliant. And that's really what this whole process is about is figuring out how to be that more. So it's really just, again, a practice. I think everything is a practice. And if I keep it a practice and I stay curious about it versus if I try to put a bunch of stress or pressure on myself about it, 
then it all just happens way more naturally. And it's a lot more fun that way if I just can stay curious, which I am. And that's the thing I, it's exciting right now because one of the hardest things is the fact that I'm a complete amateur at this. Like I said, like I've grown a few small gardens in my life, maybe had a few successful plants and then went from that to this grand idea that I want to be a farmer someday or that I want to live off the land. Right. So it's, kind of scary being so amateur, but it's also really exciting. And I don't think there's a better time for someone to be an amateur like myself, because we're living in this age of information and of connection, where there's so much at our fingertips that we can go and find at any given time. And again, if you just let your curiosity guide you, that's huge for me. So being being an amateur can be scary, but it also is the fun part. And you kind of have to suck at something a little bit before you can (laughs) (laughs) be good at it. So you have to really like just let yourself kind of be in that space and where things are a little bit uncertain and you really don't know how it's going to turn out. And, but the best part is just showing up for yourself and showing up for the earth and for what your heart knows is right, because it's way more painful and it's way harder for me to not live in my integrity than it is to live in my integrity, but do something that's a little bit out of my comfort zone. Yeah. Excellent. Well, well said. Thank you for that. You did say that it's really important that we learn how to do this right now, learn how to grow our own food. And just 19 hours ago on Facebook, I posted the following, be very clear sooner or later, you are going to want to know how to grow your own food. So that was just just 19 hours ago. There has been 154 likes, 42 comments, and five shares. There's a lot of people that are doing a lot of thinking about this about two hours ago, because people were saying, amen, I agree with you. Yes, we need to, you're right. We need to do that. And about two hours ago, I posted, all right, guys, I'm glad you're on board. We've had, you know, so many likes and so many comments, but what are you doing about it? Exactly. What are you doing about it? And you you said it really beautifully that, and I'm going to paraphrase you here for a moment, things get done because Tiffany says so. Yep. And, you know, you your explanation about you have to get up and you have to be self-motivated, that's really, really important. Good job. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's easier when you have all these resources and all these tools. And that's really what my life has been like lately is just cultivating the tools and the resources and acquiring the people and picking their brains and not being afraid to show up is really just the bottom line. And I think you said in one of our very first conversations that we ever had, you were like, so do you want to come do this thing? And you're like 95% of the job is just showing up. And I'm like, well, I can show up. So (laughs) this will work. Here's the thing. If you show up 100% of the time, 100% of what you can do, you're going to be successful. That's just the way it is. Right. And I'd rather be successful in this, something that I know is deeply necessary for not only myself and my own health, but like I said, it aligns perfectly with the health of our planet and of our future. So if I can show up for this versus just showing up for anything else, then I've already won. Yeah. 
bonus. Bonus. Mm-hmm. So we're talking with Tiffany. She has been working with me here at the Urban Farm for about a month. We've been coaching each other. And I we're going to catch up with Tiffany in about a month to see how this whole project is going. So I'm excited that we uh, that we can connect again and share with everybody the, you know, the possibility of growing your own food and, you know, starting an urban farm business. And I'm excited about that. What about you, Tiff? I have never been more excited for anything ever. <laughs> nice. Nice. So I'm going to shift on you and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure and what you learned from it. (laughs) Well, this is funny because I feel like I've just been basically alluding to this question the entire time we've been talking because failure and I have basically become like best friends. (laughs) Good. I've embraced it wholeheartedly as much as I possibly can. And again, it's a practice as is everything. But if I'm not failing, then I'm not growing. And so that's really how I kind of judge my life and where I'm at. So when I fail, for me, it's just a chance to extract another lesson or extract some new information or figure out something in a new way that I hadn't thought about it before. Uh So failing is something that I do like on a regular basis and I'm okay with that. And it took some time to get to be to that point of being okay with it, but I'm, I'm here now and that's all that matters. So I think I failed a specific time I failed is probably, I failed at doing what society said I should do. Oh yes. I've, I've failed at that too. (laughs) Yep. And like that actually is like probably one of my greatest successes. So I think it really just depends on how you look at it. So when society told me, oh, you should, you graduated college, you should go get a career. I was like, actually, I'm going to go study yoga in India by everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Or do you think you should get a job now since you're 25? And I'm like, well, actually, I just want to learn how to grow food and farm. And from this being from the city or being from a family of people that didn't really grow anything. It's kind of a far-fetched idea. So I think I failed at doing what everyone thought I would do. And I'm okay with that. (laughs) Nice. And what do you consider your biggest success? I think I would consider my biggest success uh, just following my heart amidst all the noise. So kind of the same thing with the failure question, but getting to a place where I could sit still enough and get quiet enough to really listen and to really understand what my body wanted, what my soul wanted, what my heart wanted, and being able to block out just kind of all that other nonsense that's going on in the world, all the things that are really just lies that are being fed to us. That was a huge success for me. It's also been a huge success just taking my health into my own hands and understanding it in a completely different way than what we are brought up understanding it like. In a Western society. So yeah. I would consider that my biggest success just because if I don't have my health and if I don't have that healthy mindset, then I don't think I'll have anything. So, And what drives you? Well, what drives me really is how much there is that needs to be done. Like every day, like I don't understand <laughs> boredom. I don't get that at all. Because right? I like look at my list of things that I want to do or like even things that I want to learn about or talk about or study or whatever it is. And it's 
endless. So really what drives me is just that there's an endless amount of things that are to be done in the world. And it's kind of funny because I think that's a, from the Lion King, from the circle of life, it says there's more to see that than can ever be seen or more to do than can ever be done. And that that's just how life feels. So that's what drives me is the, the circle of life and all the things that need to be done and all the healing that needs to be done and all the work that needs to be done to just align what we do as humans with what our earth needs us to do. I really feel like we are a stewardess species of this planet. Like we're the most evolved quote unquote species on this planet. So I really feel a deep responsibility to everything that's living here with us and coming from so much love and abundance, like in my family and in my life is what allows me to continue to do what drives me. So nice. You and I are a lot alike. Yeah, I think we are. Yeah. Is it, you know, the, the, what needs to be done in the world with the tasks that I have at hand is what drives me Mm -hmm. and the whole boredom thing. Yeah. I don't get boredom either, man, because my to-do list is, I say this often, my to-do list is longer than it, you know, than I have in my life. Right. Exactly. There's more to see than can ever be seen. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. If you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? Can I recommend two books because I'm that person? (laughs) I'm totally that person that's like every day I'm like, oh, you got to read this book or you got to listen to this podcast. Like it's never ending for me. But actually a book that you recommended to me that now I recommend to pretty much everyone is called Voluntary Simplicity mm-hmm. by it's the second edition by Dwayne Elgin. And that book just kind of took everything that I was feeling about life and summed it up in a beautiful way and just made a, a lot of sense out of a lot of things that I was already feeling. Yeah. That book, actually, I stumbled across that book in a restaurant. The waitress had it turned upside down in her pouch. You know, she had an apron pouch on. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I, I just read the subtitle. I can't even remember what the subtitle was, but I read the subtitle and I stopped her and I said, excuse me, what's that book? And I remember when it happened, it was like 1992 or 93 for me. And yeah, that kind of lit my life on fire right there. Yeah, it's awesome. I read it while I was in Hawaii for my 27th birthday just a couple months ago and read it cover to cover in just a few days. It was amazing. It kind of reminds me there's another Disney quote that I'm going to say right now. Good. <laughs> but there's a Pocahontas quote and she says, you can own the earth and still all you'll own is earth until you can paint with all the colors of the wind. And that just kind of sums up the book a little bit in a way, like, because that's what it's about. It's like, there's a ceiling on material happiness. And once you reach that ceiling, what are you going to do? And basically all of us living in this Western society have already reached that ceiling. And that's why I think there's so much destruction and despair in the world is because we don't know what to do after that. And this book will tell you what it thinks you should do. (laughs) Nice. It's called Voluntary Simplicity. That's book number one. What's book number two? Book number two is You Can Heal Your Life by Uh, Luis L. Hay. And that's just more on the spiritual path. But I think everything is connected, obviously, to all parts of our being. And the more, and health in itself is really whole. So health is not just physical. It's not just mental. It's not just spiritual. But it's when all of those things 
are living in harmony, that we feel truly healthy in our beings. And that book really hits the nail on the head with that. So Nice. And what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? I would say unsubscribe from anything that doesn't align with your heart. So your energy is what gives power to things. Your attention is what feeds things. So start small, like even if it's just not turning on the news to give that negative news story power and instead reading a book that makes you feel good. Or if it's, you know, disengaging from a conversation on social media or in person or whatever it is, if you can unsubscribe from things and start small, because it's hard, but if you can start to unsubscribe or unplug from anything that doesn't align with your heart, then there's going to be a lot more space in your life for the things that do. So it's kind of one of those things you can say no to things that you need to say no to so that you can say yes to things that you need to say yes to. Wow. Beautifully said. Thank you. You bet. Well, thank you so much for joining on on the show today, Tiffany. Thank you for having me. This has been amazing. Just being in this conversation with you tells me that I'm in the right place. So I'm so grateful. And how can our listeners get a hold of you? You can email me, Tiffany at littletiffbigworld.com, or you can find me on social media at littletiffbigworld.com, T-I-F-F tiff with two f's just so everyone knows perfect and you can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash heart work farms awesome well that's it for today thanks for joining us on the urban farm podcast we hope you enjoyed today's episode of the urban farm podcast remember to listen for tips advice and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming you can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule, and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.